it's time to get real about today's hiring landscape. The ability to find, attract, and hire great people has become more vital to a company's success than ever before. That's why we need talent makers who prioritize innovative, more diverse, equitable, and inclusive hiring practices that put people first. On the Greenhouse Talent Makers podcast, we're celebrating the work of leaders dedicated to cultivating incredible talent. Join me, Mika Gabreas, Senior Manager of Editorial Content at Greenhouse, as I sit down with talent makers who are changing the game in hiring. Today, I'm joined by two brilliant leaders who are addressing inequities head on through their hiring practices. I'm chatting with Gary L. Davis, Diversity Talent Acquisition Lead for Digital Media at Adobe, and Bridget Gray, Chief Customer Officer at Opportunity at Work. We'll explore how to grow and promote from within, as well as how to best analyze and understand hiring data to truly improve DE&I. Please welcome Gary L. Davis and Bridget Gray. I am so thrilled today to be joined by two leaders who are gracing the airwaves with their insight. Why don't you both introduce yourselves with your pronouns and your current roles, and then also why you're passionate about DE&I hiring practices. Hi, everyone. My name is Gary L. Davis. I use he, him pronouns, and I am the diversity talent acquisition lead for digital media at Adobe. Why am I passionate about equitable recruiting? Because I think that it is attainable. I definitely think that this is something that we can get to within our lifetimes. It requires us to really redefine what qualified means and making sure that we're building processes that allow us to assess those skills um, and not just personal compatibility. We have to make choices that allow us to make sure that we're being consistent and not revert to traditional ways that we all know cause more harm than they do good. Mm, That's the real tea. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much, Gary. Yes. And Bridget, why don't you go ahead and give us a quick little intro. So introduce yourself, your pronouns, your current role, and then also why you're passionate about DE&I hiring practices. Yeah. So Bridget Gray, Chief Customer Officer, Opportunity at Work. She, her, hers. And I am passionate because 50% of the U.S. labor market does not have a bachelor's degree. And when you start to think about equitable hiring, DE&I, that impacts BIPOC communities more than anything or anyone. And so when you start to think about what does equitable pathways look like, what does upward mobility look like, I'm passionate because we're leaving out 50% of the workforce. When we talk about new jobs, new roles, we're not considering that part of the workforce. So I am passionate. I've been doing this for over 30 years. I think that alone speaks to the passion that I feel about making sure that we open up doors of opportunity for everyone, particularly BIPOC uh, communities as well as women. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I'm particularly excited to have that conversation about how to open those doors uh, and give opportunities to talent from underrepresented, historically underrepresented groups. So very excited for our conversation today. And I know that both of you are doing incredible things at your organizations, specifically with data. And so I love this because quite literally, businesses cannot succeed without data. They can't succeed without looking at the data, analyzing it, and then coming up with a plan to move forward. And obviously, data plays a really key role in DE&I at organizations. It's not a nice to have, but it is a must because, you know, in the realm of DE&I, 
data makes it no longer a guessing game. And you're able to use that data to drive change with proof and facts. For a moment, I want to focus on you, Bridget, and the work that you're doing at Opportunity at Work. So what kind of data or metrics have helped influence the programs at your organization? Yeah, so we are an aggregator of supply and demand. Our entire existence is to make sure that the talent category of STARS, those are workers that are skilled through an alternative route rather than a bachelor's degree, have access to the many jobs that have upward mobility, higher paying roles, but they're, they're recognized for the skills that they bring to the table. We know that skills are the currency of the labor market, but STAR skills aren't valued and they've earned these skills through community colleges or boot camps or just most importantly on the job. And so we use that data to talk about the 70 million plus workers in the U.S. who have been skilled through an alternative route uh, rather than a bachelor's degree. That's 50 percent of the the labor market. We also talk about the fact that 61 percent of black workers are stars. 55 percent of Hispanic workers are stars, 48 percent of women, 61 percent of veterans. And so when you start to think about DEI and hiring, stars make up the full diversity of our U.S. labor market. And so when you start to think about equity, you can't get any more equitable than that. If you have the numbers in front of you, then you should be able to realize that there is a whole talent pool out there that you could be opening up your doors to. When employers are screaming that they don't have the talent, they can't find it. We have the data and the numbers to show you that the talent is actually there. It means you need to really think about how you're sourcing and how you're building your talent strategy. If it's not inclusive of stars, you don't have a talent strategy. Yes. And like you said, it opens up a massive talent pool that was probably overlooked for so long. So you're getting really great access to this untapped talent pool with unique talent that can really help propel your business forward. And so I want to talk a little bit about how the two of you work together as well. When it comes to good hiring, you know, I said it in previous episodes, I'll say it again, alignment. (laughs) is the magic word. So alignment amongst your teams and alignment amongst recruiters and hiring managers or anyone in the organization is absolutely critical and essential. So can you tell us a little bit about how you've both worked together in the past in your previous roles and had that alignment to strengthen inclusive hiring? It was fun is the headline, but I think one of the things that Bridget and I were really lucky to have experienced prior to is that we both worked in organizations that really value competencies. Um, And so I remember us sitting down and really focusing on building out a competency-based and performance-based hiring framework. So we sat down, we looked at each individual role that was under the remit of the organization, and we started to really figure out how could we distill the specific competencies or hiring attributes that we thought were necessary for that position. And when I say attributes or competencies, I'm talking about things like data analysis, organizing and executing, building relationships. And so once we did that, we cascaded it backward a little bit further and started to think about, well, what types of interview questions would we want to pose to make sure that we have that fair, consistent process for each candidate that we interact with. Um, We wanted to make sure that we were leveling the playing field by outlining exactly and aligning on what our uh, core attributes were, um, what our job descriptions were going to look like, the questions we were going to pose, the scale that we were going to use to also evaluate those responses so that we did have that level set. And then also we use thought exercises or take-home tests to really determine, because we know that there are people that are out here that, listen, know how to interview. We have hired them, we've worked with them, we've worked alongside them, so we know what that
that looks like. We really introduced really thoughtful exercises that really focused on, here's a set of data, here's a particular real life scenario or an issue that you would encounter in this position. There are no right or wrong answers, but we want to be able to understand what types of things do you pay attention to? What types of questions do you have? So I can remember vividly one example where we were considering a role that was responsible for expanding the organization. We had them pretty much use the same calculus, if you will, that we would when we would evaluate growth into new markets, presented them with data, asked them to pretty much make a case for why they wanted to move forward with one site over the other, but then also give us some more rationale as to why they did not choose the alternative site. And so I think once we had all of that figured out, it became a lot more easy to make this more of a rinse and repeat process so that every time we open a new requisition, um, we didn't have to go back and reinvent the wheel. So every year we would commit to evaluating, hey, do these competencies still make sense for where we are as an organization? But we also wanted to make sure that we had a record so that as the organization grew, as it scaled, we wouldn't necessarily have to start the process all over again. I would add a couple of things to that, too. It was also, too, about making sure you had the right people around the table, making the hiring decision. When you start to think about equitable hiring, it starts with the people that are in the room and that are at the table. And if you're not seeing those processes in their everyday leadership and people leadership, that's not who you want at your table because that's not top of mind for them, right? They can talk about equity all day, but if their teams are not representative of that, you probably don't want them at the table interviewing new people. And then the other thing is around the rubric. So I love the rubrics. Gary created some amazing rubrics, let me tell you. And I love this one because it was holding people accountable to completing the rubric. There are often times that people will interview and they will have thoughts. They won't document their thoughts. And so you want to see people's documented thoughts because that's an opportunity to give you the chance to see what people are saying. Is there a place where you can see inequity in the way they're having a conversation on paper about someone? You want to course correct that really quickly. Are people looking at one candidate and, and judging them differently than they're judging a different candidate? You can see that stuff if people are, are completing their comments. So it was really just crucial that one, we complete every aspect of the process, but also we make sure we are clear about who's at the table as part of the hiring team. Yep, absolutely. I think that this is such a great conversation, and I'm glad to see that we are all hashtag aligned. So I would love to learn a little bit more, too. As we talk about fairness, uh, we're talking about equity. I love to say, like, diversity is cute and all, but we need equity. And so I've worked in previous organizations where things looked diverse. And just like you were mentioning, Bridget, like, we need to make sure that we're seeing that diversity on the hiring panel as well. Because obviously, if you're not just trying to get people through the door, you're trying to get them to stay. But that could be very indicative of what your company looks like if I'm seeing the hiring panel and there's no one that looks like me or thinks like me. And so... Again, diversity is cute, but we need to see equity. I've seen at companies where there's a lot of diversity or there's a lot of people of color, but there's no people of color at the top. And I, at a previous organization, learned through just one conversation with one straight, cisgendered white man doing the same job as me. And I was making half his salary. True story. <laughs> the exact same job and same level. And so diversity is important, but inclusion is important and, and creating that equity and making sure that you're paying people fairly. And so I always say, like, don't talk about it. Be about it. <laughs> Show me that you're treating me fairly by paying me fairly. Give me the money. 
Um, and so what would your advice be for those companies that are kind of struggling with equity and having a hard time with figuring out what that looks like at their organizations for either of you? Yeah. So I have this phrase that I love called patient urgency. And what that means for me is I'm going to understand and recognize the macro context, and I'm also going to hold you accountable to move forward. And so what that means for me, what that looks like is equity is tricky. So let's be honest. We don't have a baseline. We don't have a roadmap for that in society. So um, it is really difficult for us to be able to expect for that to spill over into the workplace. Um, we do not live in an equitable world. We never have. And so any attempts at designing for equity is literally going to be net new. That said, I also think it's important when we're having these conversations, I hear a lot about the future of work, but I don't necessarily know if anyone's talked about the history of work, particularly within this country. And so when we think about the imbalances that we see as it relates to representation, that's not a 2022 issue, right? Like that, that didn't necessarily start in 2022. That is an amalgamation of intentional decisions uh, made by people just like everyone that's on this call or everyone that's on this podcast, everyone that is listening in. And I go back to what we were saying earlier, that this is literally attainable. People have made decisions over the course of decades, and we can change those decisions. We can do things differently. Mika, to your point, you were talking about data earlier. And what I love about data is that it allows us to tell the truth out loud about what's happening today so that we can start designing for tomorrow. And I think that that involves a lot of discovery. I also think the most important thing is that it involves a great level of humility. Oftentimes in organizations, we think we have an amazing culture, which could be true, but it's not necessarily experienced the same for everyone. And what we know is that people's experience of a culture varies largely based upon how they identify or based on how they're perceived. And so when it comes to advice, I would say be completely open to evaluating not just your programs. I think there's a fascination with being programmatics or doing programs or initiatives within the DEI space, I think we have to get really intentional about focusing on the policies, the processes, and the products. So it's evaluating what are the tools that we're using that are either driving us toward a more equitable future or the things that are holding us back. If it's a policy piece, you know, I think about remote work. Obviously, across the pandemic, we saw a lot of folks go home. We saw a lot of folks obviously lose their positions as well, but we saw a lot of organizations pivot to where people have the luxury to be able to work wherever they want to. But I think it's important that when we're talking about equity, we know that almost two-thirds of Black Americans, for example, in the United States are based within the South. But we also know that in the context of most tech organizations, there's not that much of a footprint in the Southeast apart from uh, an Austin, maybe in Atlanta. But we have to be able to think about, well, we have to go to where the talent is. We've obviously demonstrated that we can work remotely and outperform in most scenarios. And so it's important for us to be able to allow for that same level of flexibility. Oftentimes we'll see, particularly in tech organizations, that you have to be able to go to Silicon Valley. You have to go out West. But in doing so, you're forfeiting your community. You don't know where you're going to get your hair done. You don't know where you're going to get your nails done. These are all things that are really important when we're talking about community and equity. And so it's literally being able to make people where they're at and give them the resources that they need to have those equitable outcomes. And then, Mika, you mentioned this earlier, too, around pay. So when we're talking about equity, are you paying people fairly? Like, that is a fairly easy assessment to, to complete and something that does not require that much of a lift. And it's very black and white, right? Like, we know if two people, Mika, to your point, um, are doing the same positions, they need to be able to get the same compensation. 
are the performance management processes fair? Are they equitable? Are people trained on how to evaluate talent effectively as well as efficiently? You know, we were talking about rubrics earlier and saying that that really allowed us to kind of diffuse the distractions of things around pedigree. We wanted to focus on what it is that you could produce. So I'd say all of this goes into mind when I think about what does it mean to build a really equitable workforce? I didn't say it was going to be easy, but I do think there are a lot of different pieces that folks need to evaluate before they consider doing that work um, with a level of intentionality that I think that it requires. Oh, yes. I wish that you could have come to speak at my previous organization <laughs> and let them know all of this great advice. It's so it's so true. And especially, you know, I'm thinking about how pay transparency has come into effect in New York City. And, you know, people are terrified because they're like, oh, no, people are going to find out now. It's like, OK, well, if you're paying people fairly originally, you shouldn't be so scared to share those salaries. <laughs> so, yeah, something to think about. Bridget, yeah, I would love to hear from you as well. That's actually what I was about to say. Well, first of all, I was going to, I wanted to snap my fingers and say, preach, Gary, because, oh my God, everything you just said, I just, I'm like, oh my God, preach. Transparency is really, really important. You know, it shouldn't take New York to set the tone that you need to post the salary ranges for positions. That's one of the things I really love about Opportunity at Work. We post everything on our website. Pay ranges are there, everything. And, you know, when you ask the question about the, advice you would give, what I would say is I I was one of those women, Black women, C-suite leader who found out that I was grossly underpaid with my white women counterparts. And and my decision was to leave. That's it, plain and simple. And that's the thing with employers, you know, you get really good talent in the doors and you run the risk of losing them. Black women are leaving their jobs from executive level roles like in droves because they're not being paid equitably and they're doing a lot of work and they're carrying companies on their backs, right? And so I think with employers, transparency is really, really important. There should be a way to evaluate what pay looks like. So let's say people internally aren't paid equitably. That doesn't change how you change the way you hire externally now, right? So tomorrow, you could change your entire pay scale in the way you're thinking about bringing people in. Does it take a little bit more time to get people up to the same pay grade internally? Yeah, it may take that time, but it doesn't mean the next position you post externally has to be imbalanced. It has to be equitable. So let's just start there. And we talk a lot about DEI, but B is really important too, belonging, because you can be equitable in your hiring. You can feel like you're inclusive, but if the person doesn't feel like they belong in that space, then that's a big issue. All the DEI doesn't work if you can't feel like you belong. And so I would say transparency, making the changes today. We saw how quickly we got a vaccine because it impacted the economy, right? So if people really care about their talent strategies, why not think about how you change to to be much more transparent in that process and making sure you pay people equitably based on the skills that they're bringing in the doors. The other thing is remove the degree piece around how you think about paying people. Degree shouldn't even be considered. It should be, can you demonstrate this level of competency coming in the doors? And if you did that, you probably would balance the playing field. Absolutely. And just like you mentioned, like these are things that companies can work towards. And as Gary mentioned, it's attainable. (laughs) These are attainable things. You just have to start by taking the steps. So that's been really great insight. Thank you both. Time for a quick break. When we come back, more of my conversation with Gary and Bridget. 
Hi, Bob is on a mission to transform how organizations operate in the modern world of work with its HR platform, Bob. Leading the way for the future workplace, Bob offers resilient, agile technology that wraps all the complexities of HR processes into a game-changing, user-friendly tool that touches every employee across the business. Bob has found that companies who embrace prioritizing DEI and B will enhance business resilience by improving retention, decreasing turnover, boosting innovation, and increasing profitability. Measurement of DEI and B metrics demonstrates a significant commitment to creating lasting and definitive changes that will enhance the global outlook for professionals everywhere. That's why we've created a guide to help you accurately gauge the success of DEI and B initiatives at your company by showing you which metrics to track. Access our latest guide, Driving Diversity, how to elevate key DEI and B metrics at the link in the show notes. Welcome back, y'all. Let's get into more of my conversation with Gary L. Davis and Bridget Gray. You know, we've had these conversations focusing around like hiring and whenever we talk about hiring, it's very much focused on going out and doing that external sourcing and looking, where's the great talent? And sometimes we forget, like I like to say, the call is coming from inside the house. (laughs) There's great talent under our own noses already working at our organizations. And so I know this is something that you've mentioned, Bridget, so I would love to hear from you on this too, and I would love to hear from you, Gary, after. But why is it so important to promote and grow employees from within the company just as much as it is to source externally? Oh, my God. So as a people leader, that is the way I think about approaching any type of growth internally with my team. Whenever there is a requisition that needs to be posted, the first thing I do is I just survey our team first. Who on our team could do this job? And it doesn't matter where you currently sit in the organization. I want to know who the people are on our teams that we can move up because you should never be thinking that you have to go external to source talent versus internally. And that goes back to the process that Gary talked about earlier when we talked about just hiring and how we built that process. Our process wasn't about just hiring. It was about retention too. So when you're hiring, you you have to think about things around how do people want to grow and how do they want to learn how do they want to develop? What does that mean for them? What, what is it that you can create for them to be able to do that? Because the goal and process should be, I'm growing this individual to continue to move along a continuum, not hiring you for the role of today. I'm hiring you for the role of the future. I'm even creating opportunities for you when I see the skill sets and talents you're bringing to the door, because it makes, it makes sense for us from a business. But it also makes sense if you're thinking about equity in general. And then if you can't find the person internally, you need to be honest with yourself about like, why are you saying you can't find someone within your organization? Then you can go outside and source for that person. But any role that comes up, you should be thinking internal first. Even if it's not your team, you should be thinking across the organization. And you should be thinking about equity from a lens of BIPOC. Everyone that gets promoted cannot be non-people of color. Like that's just crazy to me. And so you have to think about that. And so it's really about this intentionality around how you bring people in your team, but how you coach, develop, train them um, throughout the process and create opportunities for them or hire them into opportunities that exist. Intentionality is everything, honestly. And throughout this entire conversation, that's very clear that everything that we do to in order to make impact needs to be intentional. And Gary, I would love to hear from you as well on kind of your take on the importance of that internal mobility and growth. 
Yeah. So plus one to everything that Bridget said, that was amazing. And I think it's important that we recognize that we use and throw around terms like growth and scale for businesses and teams and functions every day. We don't really think about that in the context of people, though, right? So, like, we we get these positions, we're hired in as, a, you know, a manager, an associate, director, all of these different titles, and we're doing work on behalf of the company, but we're also getting something other than a paycheck and benefits. We're getting the opportunity to grow specific skill sets that, to Bridget's point, will position us within the next 5, 10, 15 years. You know, I don't necessarily think that anyone stops learning or growing or developing, whether they are one year into their career or 50 years into their career. And I think it's important that we understand that there are some intentional efforts that we can drive. And so when it comes to this idea of using data to talk about how do we think about talent development, how do we think about growing internal skill sets, what that could mean you are evaluating who exactly does have access to professional development today, who gets access to stretch assignments. Um, I think that there's oftentimes this halo horn effect that we talk about where we think about folks that we most naturally gravitate to. and We typically tend to reward them with resources and access. That's literally is what drives inequity within the workplace. It can't necessarily just be who you have direct line of sight into. It's being able to kind of understand who is in the room both from a skills perspective. And it's also being, I think, being able to understand what is the actually does the organization need? Do we have the resources to be able to effectively develop this person over time? And I'm just going to call it out. If you are a people manager or people leader, as Bridget said, and you cannot develop other people, you have to really ask yourself the question, is that the right role for you? Um, that is your responsibility as a, as a manager to be that coach, to be that enabler. It's not necessarily just, you know, gone are the days where we're just over, you know, someone's shoulder looking to make sure that they're doing their work. We don't need that in 2022. Frankly, we've never needed it. But I think it's important that we acknowledge that as a manager, you have a core responsibility to develop your team. Now, that could involve having conversations with them, especially if they're unclear as to what development could look like. But I think it's important that we at least create that space where folks can talk about these things openly. And if the manager is not in a position to develop, they at least should be able to be supportive um, and allow the person to get the resources and training and development that they would like. You know, this piece around equity and, and leadership is just so interesting to me. So think about it like this, too. If BIPOC people are not moving up in a company and they continue to be in the manager roles or associate roles, right? When a downturn comes and the labor market starts to freeze, they're the first ones that are let go. So when you start to think about, one, they're already not earning a lot of money. And then when, when a recession comes, the roles that get slashed first are the not, not leadership roles. It's the roles of frontline team members. So that means that, again, more BIPOC communities are being disconnected from employment. Women are greatly impacted by that as well. But this piece around leadership is, is an interesting one. Everyone's not primed to be a leader. Everyone's not primed to be a manager. <laughs> They're just not. People leadership takes work. It is a job within itself. And if you are at an executive level and you have a leader that is constantly looking outside of the organization for new people to bring on their team when they have a whole team, if they have constant turnover on their team, if all the red flags are just buzzing everywhere and you can see them, Who's having that conversation with that leader? Because I guarantee you the team members on that team already feel the lack of equity there with just in that, within that leader's leadership. And so everyone's not primed to be a leader. And that's really, really important when you're thinking about hiring and equity and inclusion and belonging. You have to have the right people leader at the table. 
And it's a job within itself. It's not easy to be a good people leader. It takes work, but it also takes vulnerability and it takes you to not have an ego and you have to be humble because you have to be open to people's thoughts and ideas and also their feedback, (laughs) whether it be brutal or glowing. (laughs) You have to be open to it. I've been there for both. And then you have to be willing to make the changes that need to happen. All of that is around talent and equity around talent and hiring. It's all rolled into one. You can't separate those. They're they're aligned. Yeah, it it absolutely is. I know that we are at the time now for the end of our conversation. And I know this is going to be so great for all of our listeners to have so much to take away from it. But before we wrap up, I just want us to take like 15 seconds for each of you. If listeners could only walk away with one key piece of advice for inclusive hiring in like 15 seconds, what would that be? Whoever wants to go first can go first. I'm going to try my best to do this in 15 seconds. Um, Layering demographic data, again, tells the truth out loud. So you want to understand outcomes. You want to understand experience. Evaluate which sources tend to lead to more diverse pipelines. Understand the composition of each candidate within your each of your stages. Where are the bottlenecks? It's not the candidate. It is the process. It is always the process. It's always the interviewer. And also be able to evaluate that candidate feedback. So folks have an interest in wanting to hire Black talent, but have folks ever thought about understanding what does the Black candidate experience look like in your organization? Um, what about for women or people over the age of 40? So it's important to be able to counter and evaluate all of that information to be able to tell the full story of what is on your short-term roadmap for success. Yes. Layering demographic data. Incredible. Yes. Bridget, please go ahead. Data, I'm always going to say. Data is is a truth teller. So you should be using data to make your decisions about how you hire, but also how to be honest with yourself. Stop writing checks to Black causes when something happens. That is not the answer. The answer is you change your processes, you change your structure, you change your hiring because checks don't do anything, but jobs do and they have to be paid well. So make sure that you are looking internally to yourself as an organization and being honest with yourselves and do the evaluation and use the data. That's what I would say. Yes. Use the data also. Yes. Thank you so much, both of you, for this awesome conversation. I know that It's going to be so helpful to everyone. I can't wait to listen to this back as well. But thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Thank you so much, Gary and Bridget, for this inspiring conversation. And thank you to all of our listeners. Please take a moment to rate and review this podcast wherever you listen if you like this episode. If you didn't, don't worry about it. Learn about how Greenhouse promotes inclusivity and embraces diverse perspectives in our product, culture, and our community by visiting us at greenhouse.io forward slash belonging. Special thanks to our production partner, Wonder Media Network, their producers Liz Smith and Brittany Martinez, and production assistants Sarah Schleed and Lila Watts. And another shout out to our Greenhouse producer, Marnie Williams. Until next time. <laughs>